Hey, it's Freddy Cruz, and I've made it my job to extract the stories of the individuals, organizations, and businesses that make the greater Houston area great. Enter Vietnam War veteran Raul Herrera. His memoir, Skunk Alpha, was decades in the making. It details an epic battle during the Vietnam War in which his team prevented 90 tons of weapons and supplies from reaching the Viet Cong. During this episode, we discuss how he finally got to the finish line of completing the book, the importance of sharing his story, and how a gift from his mom helped him write it. Pick up your copy now at skunkalpha.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with family and friends and sign up for the newsletter at cruisethroughhtx.com. Hi, I'm Ed Sheeran. This is Bruno Mars. Hey, it's Katy Perry. This is your man Flo Rida with Freddie Cruz. This is AJ Mitchell with Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Freddie Cruz. Let's go pick Mr. 305 and you already know what it is. My name is Freddie and it's time to cruise through HTX. Toward the beginning of the book, Raul, there's a passage that caught my attention. It reads, the barrio was also the place where I learned the fear of death. And for you, what was that defining moment? That's an interesting question, Freddie. Uh, I was young, high school age, possibly a sophomore or junior, gone to a girlfriend's birthday party, backyard birthday party with you know 45 RPM records and such. And the buddies that I went, through, went with... Um, the tallest one got permission from my father to use our 52 Chevy. And I went and gathered a, a bunch of my buds uh, from school. And we went and they got bored with the party right away. And so they wanted to head downtown to see what it was like at one of the dances that were being held uh, downtown in San Antonio. And well, on the way back, they wound up uh, being very nasty with uh, a local gang, the, the, the worst gang in, in San Antonio at the time, the Ghost Town Gang. And, of course, they uh, chased them down, and they got to where we were and jumped fences, and they had guns on us and knives, and, well, I thought we were going to die. And so that was a, the first moment I had uh, with a near-death experience. But we survived, and thanks to the, the, my girlfriend's mother. I love the part about about your mom saving the shoeboxes of letters and postcards. And that was really touching. And um, I want to know when you, the feeling that you had when she presented them to you, was there one in particular you wrote? You're like, wow, I had no idea that I wrote that or felt that, or did, was there one that, that stuck out to you? No, the idea is the whole box. Uh, there may have been two boxes as, as it turned out. After I had decided, I had, I had the, the vision, an epiphany to, I had been haunted for, for years with this bosom mate that got killed uh, on December 6th of 67. And he, he was the influence for me telling our story. <clears throat> and so what happened was that I told my mother, once I came back home, uh, I told my mother I was going to be trying to put a book together and write the story. And and she handed me these boxes of, of letters that I had written, and I put them in chronological order and started dating them, uh, numbering them, one through whatever. And it, the last letter that I wrote home was 79, and that was my boat number, PCF 79. So I found that, oh, this is, you know, read the signs, read the signs. I'm on the right track here. Skunk Alpha is not just the name of a book that would make a great rock band name, but it's the retelling of um, of ship-to-ship combat that the world hadn't seen since 
since the Second World War. Can you walk through what you felt, what you encountered that first day that you that you knew this is it, this is the assignment, we're gonna we got to report for duty? Well, what happened was that uh, yes, I I was I knew I knew the mission, and the mission was uh, Swift Boats Operation Market Time Task Force One One Five. It was our job all along the 1,200-mile coast of South Vietnam uh, to provide a barrier, a final line of defense uh, to prevent enemy ships, enemy resupply ships from North Vietnam to bring in their goods uh, to their awaiting uh, Viet Cong and, and North Vietnamese Army regulars. And it, it happened on July 15th that we captured this enemy ship. We interdicted. It was a uh, four vessel, four U.S. Navy and one, uh, three U.S. Navy and one Coast Guard, one Coast Guard vessel that uh, provided an intercept. And we were given orders by the commander of the operation. We were closest to shore. We knew the area quite well. We knew where the dangerous outcrops of rocks at the mouth of the Saki River was on, on Cape Batangan, the Batangan Peninsula. And so we were given orders to proceed, and we attacked it. And we came within 75 yards of each other, exchanging gunfire, machine gunfire. And, uh, and we managed to, our boats were made, our lead petty officer on the fantail of the boat. He fired, he trigger fired, hand-loaded and trigger fired an 81-millimeter mortar, a white phosphorus round into the Taurus pilot house, forcing it to run aground at the mouth of the Saki River. And it kept 90 tons of ammunition and supplies away from enemy hands. Okay, so you say the boats were 75 yards away from each other. That actually seems really close for two boats that are firing at one another and quite hard to to miss. So it's just, um, it's astounding that y'all didn't annihilate each other. Well, it, 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 interesting enough, we did get hits. We They did score hits on us, but uh, no one was... Uh, injured or wounded uh, from any shrapnel or, or bullets coming at us. But uh, the other vessel, they uh, got to the point where they knew that they, they weren't going to be successful in the mission. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, back in October of 21, I was invited to partake in, a, in an interview by Hanoi TV. And they contacted me. They found me somehow, and they wanted me to, uh, tell the story of, of Skunk Alpha because they found they had three survivors of that trawler of that the crew, the captain of the ship, and, and two crewmen. And I was shocked to find that out. But uh, the again, this particular vessel once it once our boatmate hit that round in the pilot house, it was just a target, uh, and it was target practice from all the vessels even helicopters above that were providing flares to illuminate the trawler because the vessel came in at the darkness of the moon. So it was pitch black out there. Well, all you saw were the traces coming at you and us, ours going out towards them. <clears throat> but, it, it, yeah, they, they wound up uh, setting the, the uh, self-destruct uh, mechanism uh, on a time delay, and they left the vessel, and, and three survived. But the unfortunately for us, Perhaps the round that our boats have made fired in the pilot house destroyed the mechanism for the uh, delayed charge and 1,200 pounds of TNT set to scuttle the ship to blow it up and all its uh, ammunition, mortars, uh, mines, rockets, 
had it gone up, had it blown up, uh, we wouldn't be here today talking. Surprising to me, and I guess for lack of a better term, getting inside the mind of an enemy, it's uh, it, the self-destruct mechanism carrying that much weaponry. You would, you would, I guess, and I don't have any military experience, so this is just a a noob thinking out loud. But I would think, okay, if someone hits my my boat in the wrong way, the self-destruct mechanism might fire off and then we lose all of our stuff, even if we win the battle. And then our guys aren't going to get our supplies. Yeah, that, that's what their mindset was, that they needed to uh, bring uh, supplies to the enemy. And their, their initial focus had been, North Vietnam's initial focus uh, was to send arms uh, to the Mekong Delta, the southern tip of, of South Vietnam. And eventually they started moving further north along the coast and wound up, uh, in fact, there was a, another a trawler that was captured and uh, gunned down just north of where we captured this particular vessel. <clears throat> and, and that happened just a few months before we got uh, to Vietnam. So we knew we were heading into harm's way for sure. But, uh, you know, you, you get into the routine of your regular daily patrols, and that was just inspecting fishing junks for uh, documentation, papers, because the enemy moved their soldiers around using the uh, fishing vessels all along the coast, either transporting goods from point to point or the actual fishermen going from here to there. They, they would mingle with, uh, they would force these fishermen to take uh, these enemy soldiers along the coast to another location or carry arms uh, hidden in rice uh, barrels. And so we had to... Uh, conduct those boring patrols inspecting day after day after day and no action. <clears throat> uh, aside from the fact that when on December the 6th, we, we did a psychological warfare mission along the My Lai shoreline. Uh, perhaps some viewers may recall in history the My Lai massacre, a sad time for, for uh, the United States and, and what happened there. But that was a hot spot, and we were running a psychological warfare mission along the beach, and we got ambushed from three bunker positions on the sand dunes, and that's when our boats were made. The one that fired the mortar round, Bobby Don Carver, that's when he um, was mortally wounded. Uh, we lost him that day, the sad day. And when you talk about psychological warfare, what kind of what kind of operation do you do you mean by that? Are we talking going out and mingling with the citizenry or something else? This particular mission involved a speaker team. Uh, psychological warfare would be they would blast this "give up your arms." It was called Chu Hoi. The Chu Hoi program, uh, put down your arms, come over to our side, we'll treat you well, you know, give up your arms, essentially, you know, drop your arms. <clears throat> and was, of course, that's like poking a, a beehive, essentially. And they didn't care for it. We ran the beach once and nothing happened, came around again, and, and that's when they opened fire on us. But uh, that's what it was. Uh, there was a speaker team system. They had speakers on the top of the cabin of the swift boat. And we were running very close to the beach. I was in the pilot house, and uh, I was checking the radar and the and the photometer to check the water depth. And uh, we had, you know, three feet, two feet. The waves were coming in, so we were riding the swells there along the shore. So there's we practically scraping bottom. That's how close we were to the beach. 
and then we got hit uh, from those hidden positions on the sand dunes. Can you can you walk us through that defining moment that you realize that the the battle that you were going to win the battle against Skunk Alpha? Well, it happened so fast. It was 15 minutes after midnight on July 15th when the actual combat engagement began, and it was short-lived. It was very short-lived. Our, our gunner, um, Bob Middleton, up in the pilot house behind the twin 50 caliber machine guns, uh, he, he silenced the guns on the fan tail of the trawler and midships. They, they were firing at us with anti-aircraft uh, rifles as well. <clears throat> but uh, that allowed us to get closer to the vessel and, 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 and close enough to uh, allow Carver to be able to, uh, like I said, uh, hand load the, the mortar and level it and take aim. He actually took aim. And there's a scope there on top of the mortar and took aim and trigger fired that mortar into the round. So we knew we were getting into heavy action and uh, it, it was uh, short lived, as I said. You know, they kept firing at it and lobbing mortars and, and rockets. Uh, the helicopters uh, dropped uh, rockets at it and explosions happened. But uh, it's amazing that. The trawler didn't explode with all that um, bombardment that uh, was going on to that vessel. It's no secret that Vietnam War veterans were treated terribly when they came home. What kept you and your you and your fellow servicemen and women optimistic, grounded uh, in the face of being treated like this? Well, you know, I tell you what, I I just I don't know. I'm, my character is, is strong to the point where. Um, I, I don't let things like that affect me. And it, yeah, they bothered me. Certainly, you know, no one wants to uh, see a welcoming like that. Uh, they weren't having their arms open to us and thank you for your service. That, that's uh, so. That was sad. Emotionally, it was sad. It didn't anger me, but yet, you know, as a matter of fact, there was one occasion I, I went to make a phone call to have my cousin pick me up. Uh, at the airport, and uh, I went into this bar and, and wanted to have a, a nice, fresh, cold beer, and the bartender wouldn't serve me because I was a Vietnam vet. So those things hurt, and they did hurt, but you, you move forward, and then you go back into, uh, as a matter of fact, after Vietnam, I, I, I went and reported for duty. My last tour of duty was in Groton, Connecticut, in the submarine base, and I didn't face any problems uh, after that, and the only problems that I did face, not necessarily from uh, from those anti-war protesters, they're mostly uh, my own psychological issues that uh, invaded my psyche, um, and, and it, it eventually it took me to the point where it was so brave that I, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, and, and of course PTSD wasn't even a name at that time. PTSD was not an issue. It wasn't established and didn't know who to talk to. And eventually, like I said earlier, I had an epiphany. Uh, it, it, um, the idea that my fallen nemesis and, and, and mentor, Bobby Don Carver, he was, he was haunting me to the point where I finally said, well, what's, what's he doing this for? And it occurred to me that maybe he wants our story told uh, so that perhaps his children and his grandchildren down the line would know that he was a hero that day. You 
had written in the book that you knew you had a story to tell as far back as the 70s, and here we are in 2023, um, and then you you talk about about Carver, and I'm wondering if you've got any advice for somebody who uh, has undergone any any sort of trauma in their lives, be it military or not in the military, what would your advice be for them to, to get their thoughts out of their head and onto the, and onto the paper, or in this case, maybe even onto the, onto the, into the computer? Well, you know, that's a good point that you bring up because in addition to my time on uh, being a director and eventually president of the Swift Boat Sailors Association, I'm currently the ambassador for the Houston region uh, for the Military Writers Society of America. And part of the outreach program is to reach out to veterans and their spouses that are interested in learning how to share their story, how to tell their story. And it's a catharsis. Uh, and we're having, we're trying to generate interest in, across the United States, not, not just here in Houston, or wherever the Military Writers Society of America exists, to have a, a free writers seminar for veterans and their spouses that are interested in learning how to put their thoughts on paper and not necessarily for uh, writing an article or writing a book or writing a movie screen, uh, just Expressing their inner thoughts on paper helps a great deal uh, for those of us that are struggling um, with issues of war. And the other thing, too, is that this could help future generations of of your family. Um, you talk about military members and their spouses, and it's uh, for someone who... And, in 2075, wants to learn about grandpa or great great grandpa or whenever they're going to read it, and and they want to learn about their family, and they're like, wow, this they went through some, they struggled, and I'm having a rough day, but I know that if great great grandpa Raul went through this, then I can go through whatever I'm going through today. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to what you're saying. That's it's cathartic one, and then two, you're simply doing it for your family, whether or not it's ever going to become a New York Times bestselling book or an article that goes viral. Well, it, it certainly is that way because I another sideline to putting this story together. It's a memoir, but yet I consider it. Well, some people call it creative nonfiction. Others call it narrative nonfiction. Uh, nonfiction is basically, you know, newspaper read. Uh, but I decided to put a twist to this and, and use what, what's called, perhaps mythically, uh, literary license. And I've given voice to all these characters. And we had a lot of characters on our crew and, and around the base. And, and I wanted to bring the characters alive. I wanted to make them come alive in, in, in dialogue. And I was able to accomplish that. Uh, and, and I wanted to do that so that people would understand what Swift Boats were all about, what our mission was, and what our accomplishments was. Many people say that uh, the United States lost the, the war in Vietnam, but the U.S. Navy won its share of battles the sacrifice of these uh, sailors 
And that's my goal also is to have the legacy, the Swift Boat legacy, uh, reach the general public. Uh, not so many people know about what Swift Boats were. Even some military vets that I associate with at VFW posts, um, they don't, and I said, well, what's a Swift Boat? They don't even know what a Swift Boat was. They were in the war. So I, I'm, I'm trying to change that. Hopefully the book will um, reach a, a good level of interest across the land and, and, and people will find out uh, what swift boats were because I, I do cover the history of swift boats from the very beginning, um, from when the Army helicopter flew over a, a cove, uh, Bungaroo Bay. He discovered the first trawler and there had been many, many missions prior to that. History records it already. I, I note that how many missions uh, North Vietnam had been successful in, in bringing goods into the, the, the Mekong Delta area up until the time this particular trawler was discovered in Bungaroo Bay. And that was a catalyst. That's what brought the, the to life what was known as uh, Task Force 115 Operation Market Time and the Swift Boats. SkunkAlpha.com is the website where you can learn more about this incredible mission. And again, it was a, a ship battle that the world hadn't seen since the Second World War. And to hear these stories of these men going out there um, fresh out of high school, uh, young, young, young men as a 47-year-old, it just it, it's mind-blowing. Um, to hear of what you all went through and, and voluntarily you all, there was a, a military draft. Yes, but you volunteered and that cannot be understated. So, sir, thank you. Thank you. One for your service and two for sharing the story. And you're right. We got to get, we got to get this out there. And the, the story of, of Carver and, and all these people that you served with. So, uh, skunkalpha.com is that website for you to go to get the book, learn more about Raul Herrera. He is in the Houston area. And, uh, thank you, sir, for coming by the show. My pleasure, Freddie. Proud to have served. Hey, you're not going to make it through the entire episode without me reminding you once again, that if you enjoy this podcast, you can help me grow the show by leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform and by signing up for the newsletter, I can guarantee there will be free stuff involved at some point before the end of summer. So if you want to get in on some freebies, you can sign up at cruisethroughhtx.com. C-R-U-Z through htx.com.